have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 13. Philippians 4, 10 to 13. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit of a little story about two friends that uh, met on the street one day. One of the friends looked sad. And on the verge of tears, and his other friend asked him, he said, what has happened to you, my old friend? And the sad fellow said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle passed away and left me $40,000. That's a lot of money, said his friend. But you see, the sad man continued, two weeks ago, a cousin I knew died and left me $85,000, free and clear, no strings attached. The friend replied, that sounds like you've been very blessed, my friend. The guy said, no, 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 you don't understand. The sad fellow interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. And the friend was really confused, and he said, then why are you sad? And he replied, this week I haven't got anything. <laughs> Humorous. But at the same time, very real. That no matter what we get, no matter what we have, it seems to never be enough for us. As I can probably attest on my own, I'm sure many of you guys can in your lives, but contentment seems to be a problem in our world today. See, as a whole, I believe that the world and even the church struggles mightily with discontentment. We're never fully satisfied. And while the issue comes from feeling discontent, I think the problem increases by the way that we try to overcome it. The desire to want more or want something different or something new just to feel content really just adds to the misery of realizing that there is nothing earthly that can fill that void that brings us so much sorrow. One of the Puritans, Jeremiah Burroughs, once said, Contentment is not achieved by addition, but by subtraction. Seeking to add a thing will not bring contentment. Instead, subtracting from your desires until you are satisfied only with Christ brings true contentment. Today we will read about how Paul, in the worst and the best of circumstances, found the secret to living a content life. And it is in that contentment that we have given the example here in Philippians 4, 10 to 13. So let's go ahead and read that. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthens me. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the power that it has, the double-edged sword that it is, that pierces our hearts. Father, I pray this morning, Father God, that this sword would pierce our hearts. Father God, that we would have softened hearts to receive your word, to receive what you have for us this morning. God, use me, Father God, as a vessel this morning. Let it not be my words, but your words this morning, Father God. Empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit, Father God, to deliver this message. Not from me, but from you. God, we ask that we all have open ears and open hearts to receive this morning. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. I was telling somebody in the words of Alistair Begg when he preached this sermon several years ago. He said as he began studying this passage... He thought it not to be fair that he gets to be punched in the gut all week with contentment and you guys get off the hook for it. So this morning, all of us, I'm sure, will be hit with this contentment and how really discontent I think we find ourselves sometimes. But before we dive into this, I want to just kind of set the scene, and that's what he does in verses 10. In verse 10 we see here, it says, I have rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Let's understand here that Paul had a deep love for the church in Philippi. And they had a deep love for him. The love that they had for Paul was evident because they had sent their messenger and minister, Aphroditus. And it says in Philippians 2.25 that he was sent to Paul to help him with whatever need he had. So Paul had a deep love for the church of Philippi. We read about in Acts on how that church got started. We read here in Philippians the love that he has for this church. And we even get to see a glimpse in how much the Philippian church loved Paul by sending someone to him to fulfill the needs that he had. So when Paul says in verse 10, what he's referring to is he's referring to uh, Aphrodite coming to him and bringing him those gifts. He was overjoyed. At their concern that they have for him. He was overjoyed that they had thought about him in the midst of where he's at. Let's remember here that Paul is currently in this period of time writing this letter to the church in Philippi from jail. So his conditions are not great. He's in jail in Rome, which is about 800 miles from Philippi. So they sent gifts and they sent a minister of those gifts 800 miles to Philippi. Now... If you're like me, I kind of like to know where's that, what kind of distance is that, because I saw something the other day, uh, the way that Midwesterner, Midwesterners measure distances by, we say like, no, that's about 10 minutes that way, that's about an hour that way, so we just really are always interested in how we measure time. So 800 miles, this is interesting, 800 miles from us would be Houston, Texas, roughly, where the Final Four is being held, Houston, Texas. So we know that that's not a short distance. From where we are to Houston, Texas, from where Philippi was to where Paul was in Rome. 800 miles. And the thing is, the need for Paul was evident by the church in Philippi. Think about this. If we knew that somebody was in jail, that, they, that the conditions would not be great. He's probably not getting great food. He's probably not getting great comfort. He, he, he probably has some things that he needs. And since their love is great, they want to fulfill those needs. Therefore, they see an opportunity to help, and they take advantage of it. Paul says in there that it's not that they're concerned. This took a little bit. We're talking eight years here. We, this wasn't a little bit. This took a little bit. But it's not that they didn't have concern for him in the beginning. Paul 
Paul mentions that. But he says that they just lacked opportunity. But then they saw opportunity and they took advantage of it. And what Paul is talking and taking time here in verse 10 is what many of us would do when somebody would give us something. It's what my wife currently did. We had a birthday party for Camden and we wrote thank you notes to people that brought us gifts. And that's what Paul is doing here in a sense. He's writing a thank you note to the church in Philippi, thanking them for the gifts that he had and the concern that they had in him. But what is interesting here in Paul's thank you is that he is kind of being a pastor still. Paul never took off that pastor hat. He's talking to the church in Philippi here, thanking them for his need. But at the same time, he's expressing to the church in Philippi that he is not in need. Isn't that interesting? He's thanking them for the needs that they fulfill, but he wants to make the point in verse 11 that he did not need any of those things. Interesting, right? If I'm writing a thank you letter, I'm not writing a thank you letter that says, thank you for the $100, didn't really need it. Well, why, why would I put that in there? But Paul does because he's trying to show a point to the church in Philippi. He's trying to show them where he's going to be going with this particular passage, where he's going to be going with this letter. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And the way that that is worded is interesting and yet strategic for Paul. The physical need is clearly evident. The physical need is clearly evident. So for him to say he doesn't need those things, he, he does. He does. The need is evident. But it is the attitude of need that Paul is expressing that is not clearly seen. So yes, the physical need may be seen and may need filled, but it is the attitude of his need that he is trying to portray to the people in Philippi. Do you understand what I'm saying there? He, there is a need that needs to be filled, but Paul's telling them, I don't need those needs to be filled because I am content in what I have. It's interesting. And Paul, the way that he is doing this, it, 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 he carefully chooses his words. He carefully chooses his words in verse 11 because he wants to be thankful for the needs that the church of Philippi gave him, but he doesn't want them to think that he is in need, that he is in need of this in order to continue on. So he doesn't want them, he's, he's thankful for them and thankful for the concern, but he doesn't want them to think that he needs more in order to continue pursuing the goal of getting to Rome and pre preaching the gospel in Rome. Paul here is teaching and demonstrating the theme of what we're talking about today, and that is contentment. Now, before we get any farther in that, I, I, I was hesitant to go there. I think that's what Paul is saying there, but I think Paul does a good job of laying out. He doesn't need this, but he appreciates that, but he doesn't need it to continue on. Let us not think that we can't ever be in need. I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be the message that we get out of that verse. That we can't ask for things that we need because there are needs that need to be met in the church. We're called as a body of believers to meet needs of people in our church. So brothers, sisters, hear me out this morning. Don't feel like you can't ask for something that is a need in your life. Don't think, well, Josh says I have to be content in my situations. No. The church in Philippi is being obedient 
in fulfilling the needs of a brother that they had. But Paul is just letting them know that it is, he's thankful for that concern, thankful for their obedience, but he is letting them know that it is not, he does not need those things or continue to need those things in order to pursue God and keep up his contentment, to keep up his spiritual happiness, keep up his spiritual joy. Do you get what I'm saying? So let's not, I don't want us to get that message here. But we're talking about contentment. Now, our first point. Paul brings this up. I was telling people this week, what is interesting about contentment is that Paul says in here in verse 11, let's pick up right there. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's letting them know that he is content in whatever situation he's in. He said, I have learned. I have learned in whatever situation. There's a sense of learning how to be content. My question is, is, when is the last time you have genuinely learned something? When is the last time you have learned something? A new skill, a new language, anything. When is the last time you've actually sat down and tried to learn something? I had to ask myself that question. I'm thinking, when's the last time I pushed myself to learn a new skill or learn something? Well, for most of us, it's probably been a while. It's been a while for me. Why? Because learning is hard, and it takes time. I didn't even write this down, but I can tell you one time, I tried to learn how to play guitar. It lasted two weeks. I was done. Learning is hard. Learning is hard. It takes time. Honestly, kids, how many of you guys love to learn in school? That's why PE is your favorite subject, because we don't learn anything in it. We just play. Okay? Kids don't like to necessarily learn. It's, it's difficult. It's a place where kids just, if, if, if school was just a place where they could go and hang out, eat lunch, play, and go home, how many of us would struggle to get our kids up in the morning to go to school? It would not be a struggle. But it's when I take my kids back from PE and I say, what are you guys going to do? Math. That's great. That's awesome. But nobody likes to learn. Nobody likes to be pushed. It's interesting that we are constantly looking for quick ways to learn something or accomplish something that, be, that doesn't require much work. But there's a true benefit in learning. And when it comes to being content in life, Paul is demonstrating to us that this gift of, of being content is not something that is just gifted to us, but is something that has to be learned. It is something that has to be learned. Alistair, his sermon, was talking about how everybody, if, if, if he would sit up here today and say, seven tips of how to be content in life, seven ways, seven steps to being content, we would be sitting there, wow. Go ahead, Josh, give it to me. And we'd take those seven steps, we'd say, hey, Josh, I tried those seven steps yesterday and it didn't really work. But that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for quick, easy ways to just gain contentment, gain anything. And Paul's saying that's not the way this works. This is a process. Well, how do we learn content then? How do we actually learn something? How do we learn something? We take a class on it? Do we ask for it? How, does, how do we learn content? Well, I think Paul's life is a beautiful example of how contentment is learned. So how do we learn to be content? 
Is it something that we study? Is it something that we, that we uh, receive? What is it? Well, Paul's life is a beautiful example of that, of this. Alistair Bates says that Christian contentment is learned in the school of God's providence. It is learned in the school of God's providence. Interesting enough, this word providence is the name of our church, and yet I don't know how many of us actually know what providence means. And I think that it's important that we define what is God's providence. Divine providence is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. God governs by which he, with wisdom and love and care for and directs all things in the universe. That is God's providence. This basically means that God is control, in control of everything. God is in control of everything. It is through divine providence that God accomplishes his will. It is through divine providence that God accomplishes his will. And to ensure that his purposes are fulfilled, God governs the affairs of men and works through the natural order of things. Everything that happens in our life is God's providence of going and working in order for his will to be accomplished. A perfect example of God's providence, a beautiful example of God's providence is the story of Joseph. Is the story of Joseph. Man, what are we studying in Sunday school right now? What are we studying? The story of Joseph. You want to get a good example of God's providence? After church, depending on how much time I leave here, we have Sunday school. We're going to learn about Joseph and the story of Joseph and how God worked things together to accomplish the will that he had for Joseph, that he gave Joseph in the dream, and how God used all of the manners that he could, whether that was governing his brothers to throw him in the pit, whether that was Potiphar's wife that was going to try to seduce him, whether that was being made the cupbearer, whatever that was, whatever was done in Joseph's life was all done for God to accomplish his will of making Joseph become the person that he wanted to be. Every situation in Joseph's story, mundane and significant, God was in control in order to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. See, I believe that learning, learning is all about exposure and experience. We must first be exposed to whatever content it may be that we're trying to learn. But then we also must experience that. Once exposed to contentment, we must experience what it's like to wrestle with contentment. We must be able to be in situations where we have to try to learn to be content. So my question is, is have you experienced God's providence in your life? Absolutely, you have. Have you recognized that it is God's providence in your life that has got you to where you are today? <coughs> Countless times in Paul's life did God divinely intervene to accomplish his will. If you did not get that when we went through the story of Acts, then Kevin and Eric and I did not do our, our do Acts justice. But God's providence in, this, in the book of Acts, in Paul's life, Constantly moving. I can just think about whenever the snake jumped out and bit Paul. 
and he was supposed to die. He didn't die because God had a plan for Paul's life to get him to Rome. Everything was working out to get him there. The story of Jonah that we talked about, God's providence working in the life of Jonah. I mean, guys, God's word is full of God's providence and how he's working in that. So basically, contentment comes from moments of suffering in our lives where we have nothing to grab hold of other than Christ. And in those moments, we take time to recognize that God is fulfilling his promises, fulfilling his will, and fulfilling that promise that he gives us in Romans 8.28 when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So being exposed, being an experience, God's providence, and recognizing God's providence in our lives is going to help us learn to be content. Because contentment is not something that Paul instantly had or something that was gifted to him, but it was something that over time Paul learned as he matured in his relationship with Christ. To know God more brings about contentment because when we understand that he is intricately involved in every detail of our lives, we have nothing to worry about. Because contentment is found in knowing the God that has you. Turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 6, or chapter 6, 25 to 33. famous do not be anxious passage. Listen to this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you you understand when this, this, this understanding of God's sovereignty and God's providence understanding that God is in full control and he's working all things together in your life to fulfill his will and to his promises. And what does it say? It says that God's will is good. So whatever tragedy you're in right now, whatever circumstance you're in right now, God is working all of those things together. And what he wants you to know, brother, sister, he wants you to know that you don't have to worry about those things. Because when you find true contentment in God, you realize you need 
nothing else. Because he has everything you need. And he supplies your every need. And this applies to every circumstance. Every circumstance. Let's go back into Philippians 4. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I don't know about you guys, but have you, ever, have you guys ever been in a situation where you've been given advice by someone that really has no idea what they're talking about? I know that may sound mean, but seriously, like you're sitting there and you're going through something and you just share something with them. And it's some of those people that just think like they have to give you an answer or they have to give you advice. And they give you advice, and you're sitting there like, you don't know anything about what I'm talking about. That's not this situation. That is not this situation. Because what happens when that happens, you tend to not listen, because they haven't experienced what you're currently going through. They haven't experienced what it is that you've dealt with. But Paul here is laying out to the church in Philippi, that his experience in struggling and understanding what it means to be content gives him a platform to be able to share on contentment. He talks about how in every circumstance he has learned to be content. Paul expresses here that he has faced abundance. And he has faced being brought low. If we look back to the early days of Paul, he was a very highly thought of individual. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews on the path to becoming the next Gamaliel, who was the head authority of the Sanhedrin. And then after he's converted, when he's traveling for ministry, he comes upon a wealthy individual named Lydia. He preaches to Lydia the gospel. Lydia then is converted to Christianity. She welcomes Paul into her house, and he gets to stay in her house. And if you remember the story of Lydia, she's pretty wealthy. I don't know if this house had indoor plumbing, probably not at that time, but it probably had great, great works of art, probably was built structurally very sound, the floors probably weren't very dirty. Paul lived there, so he knew what it was to have much and to be treated very well. He understood what it was like to be on the mountain. But we also read about how Paul lived in tents, under trees. He lived in jail with awful conditions. We know about the beatings, the persecutions, the mockings, the near-death experiences when he was stoned and drug out of town. We understand the hatred that he faced. Paul knows both sides of the fence when it comes to life. He knew what it was like on the mountaintops. He knew what it was like in the valleys. Why does this matter? Because Paul brings up this point to share that no matter what circumstance you are in, contentment can be found. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're mocked or praised, whether you're beaten or catered to, contentment in Christ can be constant. Christian contentment, guys, is not dependent upon our circumstances. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. 
David says in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is the beauty of finding contentment in Christ. That in every circumstance, his love remains. Alistair also brought up in his sermon on Philippians 4, 10 to 13, he says, happiness depends on what happens. Happiness depends on what happens. But joy is something that is independent of the chances and changes of this world. Want happiness? Keep trying to fill it with temporary stuff. Want everlasting joy? Find contentment in Christ. Take my wife. Take my kids. Take my health, take my job, take my house. Take my clothes, take my money, take my everything. But nothing can take away my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you truly sit here and say that this morning? Can you truly sit there and say that this morning? When maturity and knowing Christ reaches that point when you can truly say that, that is where true contentment is found. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 5, second part says, Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. For he has said to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Always there. Suffering loss, heartache, persecution, trials, whatever this world has to throw at us, is softened by contentment in knowing God. It's softened. You know what I hear all the time? I hear all the time. When people are going through tragedy and they're, and they're a believer, they tell me this all the time. They say, Josh, I don't know how people get through this without having faith. That is contentment. That doesn't mean that you can lose a spouse Lose a child, lose your job, whatever it is, and you can just be happy-go-lucky all the time. That's not what it's saying here. It's not saying that you can't weep. It's not saying you can't mourn. But what it's saying is that they can take away all of those things, and yet my life still has purpose because I am a child of God. And I can still find joy in the midst of my circumstances because nobody can take away what Christ did for me on that cross. Nothing can wash away the sacrifice that was made for me. John Piper said that this is God's universal purpose for all Christians in their suffering. More contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. More contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. Paul said earlier in Philippians 3, verses 7 to 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For the sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Take my life. I have Christ. I have Christ. As I studied this, I was telling people this week that this, this hit me because as we look at maturing in our walk with the Lord, as we grow in our Christian faith, I think finding contentment in, in, in the Lord is, is, I wouldn't say the epitome of Christian maturity, but man, it's up there. You want to find somebody that is mature in their walk with the Lord, how content are they with what they have? How content are they when they walk through trials? How much joy do they have when things are not necessarily going the way that they want? Contentment in Christ is a sign of maturity in the Christian believer. Then we get to this last verse. And we do all of this. All of this contentment is found in the strength given to us. Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I love the fact that Paul uses the word secret here. Because it seems that in every sales pitch, and I'm sorry if I'm offending any salesmen in here. I'm trying to figure out if there's any salesmen in here. But in every sales pitch, the seller always says that they have the secret to weight loss. The secret to marital bliss. The secret to be successful in business. And why do they use that term secret? It's because they want you to think that they have figured it out and that Joe Blow over here doesn't know what he's talking about. But I have the secret. And they use that term to entice you into thinking that whatever you've tried before and it didn't work is because you didn't have the secret ingredient to make it successful. But I have it. Paul's use of the word secret here is fascinating because it's really not a secret at all. It's really not a secret at all. But it seems to be a secret because very few people seem to find contentment, the contentment that he's talking about. Once again, Paul uses the word learn. He has learned the secret, implying that this is not something that he's always had or just magically obtained it. But it is something that progressively came over time through exposure and experience. He has learned that in every circumstance, hunger and plenty, abundance and need, the secret to find contentment. And that is where we find one of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible, in my opinion, today. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, probably going to burst a few bubbles here, but this verse... No verse in the Bible, I think, is mis more misquoted than this one. We do what we normally do with Scripture in this verse, in my opinion, and we make it about us rather than about God. Athletes all over the world write Philippians 13 on their shoe, write it on their hat, get it tattooed on their back, whatever it may be. And, yes, I agree, there's worse things. But I think they're missing the point here and what Philippians 4.13 is all about. This verse does not mean that whatever you set your mind to do, you can accomplish with the strength of Christ. That's not what that means. 
That's not what that means. But what it means is that through the union that Paul has with Christ, he can have the strength in Christ to endure or prevail over difficult circumstances. That's what that means. It's not a self-empowering verse that means if we set our mind to things that God will give us the strength to overcome the game or uh, the, the task at hand. Because this is the secret to contentment. His union with Christ gives him the strength to prevail. Paul was at peace with his circumstances because he didn't rest upon them, but on God. So it was God's strength to give him contentment that he found the strength to be content. Therefore, in order for this verse to be true in our lives, we must know Christ so that we may be able to do everything in Christ by his strength. Christ's strength wasn't just this vague in enabling Paul to accomplish whatever ends he desired. But it's way more than that. It's way more powerful than that. It strengthened Paul to be content in spite of the harsh difficulties that he faced. So when we write that on our shoe or we tell ourselves that as kind of an empowering way to accomplish goals in our lives, we're, we're watering down what this verse means. This verse means way more than that. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, no matter how difficult his struggles may have been, Paul had a spiritual undergirding, an invisible means of support. His adequacy and sufficiency came from his union with the adequate and sufficient Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. Paul wrote that to the church in Galatia. Paul was strong enough to endure anything through him who strengthened him. What he is saying is that when he reached the limit of his resources and his strength, even to the point of death, he was infused with the strength of Christ. He could overcome the most dire physical difficulties because of the inner spiritual strength that God had given him. So when we read that Paul tells the church in Philippi who supplied all these needs for him, when we read that, Paul is saying there, I am not in need because of what Christ has done to strengthen me. And that's not evident. We can see the physical needs, but it's the spiritual need that Paul had had fulfilled in finding contentment in Christ. So to summarize this verse, we could say, I can have the victory over any circumstance through my union with Christ who continually strengthens me. That's a better interpretation of how we can read that verse. So stop making this verse lose power by making it about accomplishing your dreams and goals. The example I heard in one sermon, the pastor was saying that if somebody's going to take the SATs and they're terrible at math and they go into the SATs saying, I can, I can pass this test through Christ who strengthens me. 
That's not the case. At the end of the SATs, when you bomb the math section, and the repercussions of failing the SAT come, that's when, strike, that's when we find strength in Christ to overcome those circumstances. But don't look at it as a way of Christ just empowering you all the time to accomplish goals that you have. The strength that Paul is referring to here is more than that. Yes, does God give us through his providence and sovereignty? Does God give us uh, abilities sometimes to work providentially to accomplish things that we have in our life? Yes, he does. But that's not what Paul is meaning here. This strength that he's talking about here is the strength to find contentment in whatever circumstance we face. In closing, I want to emphasize why this portion of Scripture matters. Why this matters. Four reasons. I found this in an article that I think this, it, really, it really hits here. One, it applies to all Christians all the time. This, this particular verse applies to all Christians all the time. Applying this verse the way we do wrongly oftentimes limits this promise to accomplishments that we have. It might be health issues, difficulties at work, trouble with a rebellious child, relationship issues in our families, financial stress, multitude of other things. It's in those situations that this verse is meant to speak to us. It's in those situations that this verse is meant to speak to us. Another thing that this verse is, is it's humbling. It's humbling. This verse reminds us that we are not in control of our lives. So we rest on the strength of God to carry us through. I don't know about you guys, but when I lose control, I don't like it. But man, when I, when I read this verse and I realize that it is, and I read this passage, I realize that it is God that is in control that takes a load off of me, that gives me relief. Because I know that God is providentially working all things together for his good in my life. And if I was in charge of it, I would screw it up all the time. So it's humbling to know that we are not in control, but God is. Number three, it's possible. Contentment in our lives is possible. The contentment that Paul finds in his circumstances is something that we can all learn as well. Contentment isn't something granted to us, but something learned over time. And oftentimes, that contentment is learned in trials. It's learned in trials. That's why James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials. Because it's used for building up. It's used for persevering. It's used for finding contentment. And lastly, the most important thing is this verse, when we look at it in this context, is Christ exalted. Christ is the one who strengthens us in the face of both difficulties and blessings. And Christ is the one who receives the glory in those circumstances, both difficult and blessed. And God is more glorified when we find contentment amidst the trials than when we are content with our blessings. So guys, I don't know where you're at and what you struggle with discontentment at. And as I've been studying this, I told my wife, I said, you're going to have to really keep me accountable in this. And we've been all week just being like, when situations come about, we look at each other and say, hey, be content. And when they tell you that, you just want to, 
it's true. But it's true. In all circumstances, if we have truly understood that God is working together all things for our good, we understand God's providence. We understand that God is working men's wills. He's working uh, nature. He's working all things together in order for us to get to the promises and the will that he has for our lives. If we understand all those things, then we understand that the, even the worst of circumstances are meant for our good. And that is how we find contentment in God. We don't have to worry about what this trial is going to bring because we already know what it's going to bring. It's going to bring good. So find contentment in that. And when you find contentment, I'm telling you, this, this, this topic for me this week has been something that I have been digging into. I told the praise team this morning, I, I, I purchased my first book, my first book that was written prior to the 1600s. I told them I've read a little bit of it. I think it's good. It's, it's a little heady for me. I'm, I'm a PE teacher, and this is written for college-level reading. But I want to know, I want to know this. I want to learn this. Because I feel like when we get to this point of contentment is where we can find real joy. Real joy. Not happiness that's been preached by the world that we can just continue to try to fill that void with happiness. But let me tell you what, people in here, let's get real for a second. Finding a spouse is not going to bring you joy. It's not going to fill that void in your life. Having kids is not going to fulfill that void in your life. Finding the perfect job is not going to fulfill that void in your life. Having a bigger house is not going to fulfill the void in your life. Wearing better clothes. Having a nicer car. Finding a better spouse is not going to bring you the contentment that God intended in your life. That void was meant to be filled by one thing and one thing only. And that is the peace in knowing who our Savior is. And when you find that, you realize the other things are count as loss for the sake of Christ. And when you know that, I think you can look at your spouse, you can look at your kids, you can look at your house, you can look at your car, you can look at all these other things and realize, I'm blessed beyond measure. Because... I'm now looking at these things as blessings from God and not things that are trying to make me happy. Brothers and sisters, continue to learn to be content. It's a process, but a process that we can attend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, we just thank you, Father, for just who you are. Father, I thank you for how complete and sufficient and adequate you are. Father, I, I apologize and I ask for forgiveness this morning, Father God, for how often I find myself discontent in my circumstances. And Father God, I pray, Father, that over these next days, months, years, whatever time you have for me left on this earth, Lord, I can keep and continue to learn how to be content. Father, I met my prayer for all of us. God, that we come to a to a knowledge of you, Father God, that understands that you have our best interest in mind, Lord, that you are working all things together for good. Father, that we don't have to worry about things, we don't have to be anxious about things, but Father God, we can rest in just knowing who you are 
and trusting you. Father, faith in you is, Father, is, is where contentment is found. Continue to grow us in that, Father. And Father, if there's anyone in here today, Father, that doesn't know you and has continued to try to fill their life with things that are so temporary, Father, I pray that you break that cycle. Impress upon their heart, Father God, with your spirit who you are. And Father God, let them find a peace that surpasses all understanding. A satisfaction that lasts not just for a lifetime, but for eternity. God, let us find contentment in you in our lives. We just ask all these things.